there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text-to-pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, I'm joined today by probably our two best elders, okay? Lou Priolo and Jason Byers. Lou just threw his hands up in the air. Now we've got we've got 20 amazing elders and really mm-hmm. 21. Ed Butler is not active right now, but he probably is our best elder. Mm-hmm. And um, but he's inactive right now as he's uh, on the road to recovery. It's been so great to have him in uh, our worship services with us these past few weeks. But we talked yesterday. We were in Galatians six. This idea that one of the one another's, right, that Christians carry out, live out in our life together is restoration. We restore one another. And and within the command, I think that there is just some implications, right? Number one, then these are the points of the sermon yesterday, we correct one another. There's a time to bring correction for one another when we see one another in transgression. Number two, there's general restoration of one another. And then number three, there's kind of a watchfulness for ourselves. We, we kind of keep watching our own souls. That's certainly a biblical idea. But also we watch out for one another in a world um, that's full of sin. So, yeah, I want to kind of break those three points down. I particularly want to talk about, like, what does correction look like in a healthy way in the life of the church? But before we do that, just any general thoughts you guys had before we get started? I think probably the the pillar for all of this is uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, useful for four things, for teaching, for conviction or re- reproof, for correction, and then once the correction is made, for discipline, training, and righteousness. So these are things that the scriptures themselves have been given to us for, that we might teach, that we might convict, that we might correct, or that we might train in righteousness. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the word conviction there is, you know, as the scripture is taught, the spirit brings conviction in our hearts. But I do think that we can bring the truth to bear in a way that that targets that conviction in our heart. I mean, I always think of like Nathan and David, right? He 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 brought forth the truth of David's sin in a way that he knew would would strike to his heart, would would cut to his heart. And so conviction in a sense to your I think this is your point is kind of a precursor to being able to receive correction at least, and then be able to grow in righteousness. And conviction in this case is a noun, but the scripture also uses the verb to convict. Even Matthew 18, our passage, right? Go and tell him his fault. That is a verbal form right, of yeah. the word, right? Second Timothy 4, 2. Rebuke, convict, exhort with great patience and careful instruction. So this is actually a verb that one Christian is to do to another Christian. You know, it's interesting, even just the order of those words, mm-hmm. just how I've like seen this work out as a pastor. Yeah, A lot of times you preach, right? And when you preach, teach, or whatever, people feel conviction, mm-hmm. right? I've experienced this in my own life. Like, you know you're in sin, 
but I kind of gave the example yesterday, like with Barrett, like you're, you're able to deceive yourself in that sin until, like, I think a lot of people can sit in sermons and feel conviction and never actually repent until someone sits across the table from them and says the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing that they heard in the corporate body. But when somebody's sitting across the table from you that lo- that you know loves you, and they say the exact same thing, you're kind of you're kind of pinned to the mat at that point. Well, I like the illustration of the the difference between a shotgun and a rifle. You know, when you're in the pulpit or you're teaching, you're just sending out a pattern, hoping to hit as many consciences as you can. But when you're in the counseling office, you're one on one over coffee with a friend. Then you put down the shotgun and you pick up the high powered rifle and you're putting the crosshairs of God's word right on the particular part that you want to aim for. So sometimes you use a shotgun and sometimes you use a high powered rifle. Yeah, and it's not like that truth is any different. That's it's right. just the way it's applied, particular or generally. Right. Yeah. So okay, so let's let's go to the first part of the sermon that we talked about is is just this culture of correction and, and we talked about a Matthew 18 kind of pattern. I do think there's a lot of confusion in this. And and I think like let's start at the beginning of this conversation. One of the things I tried to make clear yesterday is that unless this is happening, okay, you're not really a church. It, 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 Calvin said that, but I and I don't think that's just we're not we're not basing this on the authority of Calvin. I think Calvin is observing something that we see to be true in the Bible, which is this idea of one another. This this same thing that we've been talking about. There is a necessary call to one another to care for one another to pursue the godliness of one another. That that is what it is that makes up a local church. Um, and I think if there's confusion on that, then this whole thing doesn't really make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's confusion in the culture for sure. Right. Yeah. And fundamentally, I think for a church to do this well, especially today where we've been taught that um, to to uh, to pass judgment on anything whatsoever in any way is probably the highest wrong that you can commit, yes. right? Yeah. And so we, as a church body, this really requires a reframing of what we understand correction to actually be. That when you are corrected by someone that loves you, I love the the question you posed, which was, how do you really know when someone loves you? Well, th- they can do nice things for you and give you things, but you really know someone loves you when they seek your highest good, right? When they When they see patterns that are not good for you and they gently and generously try to correct you. And so... If I think first we have to reframe our understanding of correction, um, in order to truly get at what you and and Calvin and his description of what truly makes up a church. I think uh, that's a really means. good point. What you were saying earlier too, I, I, like I, you hear people all the time say, "Well, Jesus Himself said not to judge." Right? There's this like this high principle of we don't judge one another. We don't we stick to ourselves, and I think that's more of an American principle than a. Um, you know, is American individualism really at play there more than actual Christianity? It's a that's, symptom of a lot of cultural currents right now. That, right? I mean, that's probably the most misquoted verse in the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, that's an exception to the rule. The rule is he who is spiritual judges all kinds of things, but right. he himself is the, the exception is don't judge things to be sinful that are not sin. Don't judge people's motives. Don't judge things about which you have insufficient evidence. That's the exception. The rule is because we have the mind of Christ and the word of God, we have the capacity to make all kinds of judgments about all kinds of things. You're making those judgments anyway, right? I mean, anyone that says, well, you shouldn't judge, all they're really saying is you shouldn't vocalize the judgments that you've 
already made. Yeah. Right. right. And, and and again, to your point, Lou, I think what we the, the arc of what we see in scripture is that if we actually really care about one another, we will pursue one another. We'll pursue the holiness and righteousness. That's really what we're talking about. You just said best interest. And it is their best interest, but to put a little finer point on it, it is godliness, which being like God is your best interest. Mm-hmm. But we're pursuing holiness in one another. Yeah, that's the point C.S. Lewis makes in Mere Christianity when when he he's he's uh, expounding upon um, Jesus' instruction to to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor? How do you love yourself? Well, right, you love you, you don't you don't feel necessarily affection for yourself. That's not the way we talk about loving oneself. We we love ourselves in that we seek the best for ourselves and when we love our neighbors ourselves we do the same for them we seek what is best for them and in this case in the context of this we're talking about godliness pursuing godliness for those we care most about it says reprove a wise man and he will love you mm. do not reprove a scorner he'll hate you mm. so there's there's two responsibilities the responsibility on one part of the equation to love our brother enough to convict him of his sin, and then the responsibility on the other hand to hear the reproof, mm-hmm. to turn at the, the reproof, to be receptive, even if you maybe don't see it initially, to be open to the possibility that because you're a sinner, sin may have blinded you, and you have to consider what your brother is telling you, yeah. whether it's true or whether it's not. So let's get it. You're, you're taking us to where I want to go, Lou. Like, practically, how do we do this? Now, I talked about, and I think this is a good place to start. This can the reason that this has such a bad PR thing, as I said yesterday, is that that there these sins, these these tendencies of self righteousness and self centeredness can really grab a hold of this. We like to be in the position of authority of being able to correct the sinner, right? We we want to have that you know ability because you know who doesn't want to be in charge? Who doesn't want to be tell you know who does, it makes you feel better because. This person's so bad, and I, I talked about that with even watchfulness a little bit at the end. When I see a, when I see a pastor, I hear a sermon where there's no sober mindedness uh, in the face of sin. I almost get nervous. Like, what's the sin in that person's life? I don't know if I was judging their motives there, Lou. <laughs> I, I, I pointed you out, but I, I'm just saying I do have that thought of like, okay, you you are so. Um, hard on this sin without any sort of mercy and grace like are you covering something in your own life um i mean at least ask that question um but i do think there is a principle getting back to the point of covering you know i if i see a little sin here there with will uh you know i trust that the spirit is active in his life and that he'll repent of that but if i continue to see that I think that is where, or if it's something that's so serious, right? You know, it's it's like if you only, uh, you know, it's like if somebody, for example, like goes out and like if, if, if Lou went out and like cheated on Kim tonight with, uh, you know, with another woman or whatever, I don't have to say, well, I'm going to trust that uh, the Holy Spirit will convict Lou. No, that's, a, that's so serious. It's so outward facing. It's so involving another person that that would need to be addressed quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there, there, so there is some wisdom involved in this. So there is, I'm just saying there's a principle of covering, but when it becomes serious or a pattern, 
that's when it needs to be addressed. How do we enter in? How do we start that conversation? So there's this covering in love and this overlooking in transgression is the glory of man to overlook a transgression. The passage we looked at yesterday in Galatians is a little bit different, even than the Matthew 18 passage, although in Matthew 18 it's implicit. He's overtaken by a fault. This is not an occasional thing. He has fallen into a pit and he's not able to extricate himself. And those are the situations that the passage in Galatians are really is really talking about. We have to sometimes go after someone uh, to pursue them, to help them be restored to God because they have, uh, they have gone uh, from maybe an occasional situation to something that's more life dominating. It's yes. controlling them. Yeah, we, we've, we can tell that they are deceived. I mean, I think that is the big point. And so when, when sin, you know, when it's a severe, very sin like that, like that, like you, you, you have to have thought about it, you know, to the example I just gave, like, it's something that you, it's not, it it only is a question of self-deception because somehow you know that this is wrong and you've justified this horrible thing. Or if it's a pattern of sin, um, you know, that, that somehow they, they stay in this. And so they're deceiving themselves in some way. And I, I talked about church discipline as kind of adding weight. So how do we do that? Like, how do we enter in? Yeah. I, I mean, I maybe back up. I think all of this presupposes one thing, the way that we enter into um, correction of one another uh, presupposes that we know each other. Yeah. And we are already living in healthy community with each other. And so, um, which is what I think so many of our people, if not all of our people, really value about their membership at Christ's Covenant is that the the family that they have become a part of here is a meaningful thing. It's a meaningful unit, and all, the correction and everything follows on that, but it presupposes that we know each other, we know each other's lives, we, we know the temptations that each of us uniquely faces, uh, we I don't if does that make sense? I mean I think and I would even like kind of go further. In the church discipline like we have kind of seen dealt with or the particular sins in the body that we have seen dealt with as an elder body, I would almost say it is inextricably linked to um it is inextricably linked to um how well you know the body. Yeah. The people that are in community that have friends in the church, that know their elder, that you know are in a group, have a men's group, those sort of things. When they fall into sin, what I my, what I've seen is that they are able to quickly recover. They're it's able. It's not to, uncomfortable, right? Because right, that is a natural thing. They're able to be corrected yeah, and restored. Right. Right? right. There's people around to do that. The people that are kind of isolated <laughs> in the body, those are the just to give a shepherding word. Those are the sheep that I um, struggle with. That we struggle to kind of keep in the fold. Yeah, but what if you don't know? I mean, sometimes you have a hint, you have maybe a suspicion. So the Bible says, if you answer a matter before you hear it, it is falling in shame unto you. Uh, he who is first in his cause seems just, but his neighbor comes and examines him, gives the other side of the story. So sometimes we're in a situation where we're, where we're not sure. And so the first step is often asking questions, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Counsel, the plans, whatever the Hebrew word it means, is in the heart of man, a wise man draws it out. So sometimes we have what we think is evidence that a brother is fallen, but we have to be careful not to just jump right in without verifying, preferably from his own lips, Mm -hmm. that what we see is really what is going on. I think that's a great, that's good. I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. 
is, you know, and so I would just to give a very practical instruction, you know, even, even like you say, I may not know, like, let's say there's a, I'm just going to give some practical examples here, some real life examples. Let's say there's a brother in our mm-hmm. church that's married and I see him hanging out with another woman often. Right. Okay. And I get suspicious, right? I mean, I'm, and I don't think that's wrong. I'm, I'm watchful. I'm watching out for him. And so I, and I, I see a pattern of this again, like if I see him talking to a pretty woman one time, that's where I think it's like wrong to speak. But like I say, every Sunday after church, I see him talking to this woman. They, they seem to be very comfortable with each other. At that point, I might take him to lunch. Or I, I mean, I think I want to do this in an honorable way to him or sit down with him, get coffee with him, whatever, and just say, hey, it seems to me that you have been spending a lot of time with this woman. Is oh, there- did I not tell you she's my cousin? I'm sorry I should have introduced her right, to right, you. Right, 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 right. So, but I'm, I'm kind of beginning with right. a question. It seems to me, um, and and then I, I'm still, because I'm working in concert with the Lord here, right? right. I, I want the Spirit to bring conviction. And so if he's truly a Christian and the Spirit's at work in his life and he is in sin, hopefully that's enough. Now, if I give him that warning, let's just say we go to coffee and he says, it's no big deal, we're friends, da 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 da, da. It's okay. And so, but he has a, he's, on, he's at least on warning now. He knows that I'm on to him. But let's say it continues. And, the, and, and, and then I see something even worse. Then I think you bring a more direct accusation of, look, brother, you, you are doing this and it's wrong and you've got to stop this. The, the, the account with Barrett that I mentioned yesterday where he corrected me, he knew, he knew the sin. You know, and so he was able to speak directly toward it. But I think that's a great asking questions, starting with questions is a great place to begin. And I think it's good to help uh, for people to understand that there's a there are there's a hundred ways to to correct, to convict someone, to reprove him. I've got to convict people for a living. I mean, every day right next door, I from where we're recording this on a regular basis, I have to convict people of sin. Now, you know, some people are like Jason and I, I can just take a two by four and hit him over the head and say, bro, you're in sin, you know, but I can't do that to everyone. But that's related to what Jason was just saying. You and I have a very, we have a deep friendship. Exactly. But you know, some people, I just have to ask a question and the question uh, will actually bring the conviction. You know, could it be that, you know, how could it be that you're spending so much time at work? Explain to me how you could be spending so much time at work and still, uh, fulfill Matthew 6 33 seeking first kingdom of God and his righteousness or how, how, how is it that you can, um, uh, uh, spend so many hours at work and still take care of the needs of your family. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can bring conviction. Of course you have to use the scriptures cause that's a part of it. So I, I would reference in this case, Matthew 6 33 to produce the conviction and it doesn't have to be an overtly confrontational, um, conversation right no but it, it is very personal though right it's, it yes. doesn't have to be confrontational but it is personal it cannot be rightly done at arm's length right you, it's right. we have to right um between him enter and the, 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 the confrontation knowing that we're we're these are real people with messy lives and we have to enter into one another's lives it can't be rightly done at a distance um, and, I, and I do think, too, one of the points I tried to make yesterday, too, that there needs to be some sort of outward manifestation of it. Um, of the repentance or of, no, the, of the sin. The sin, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And so it and it could be, you know, hours logged at work. I mean, that is a manifestation of something. 
right? And it could be um, the 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 account I gave yesterday of not serving at all, right? That could be evidence of pride in your heart. But I can't just say, you know, it seems that you're a little, you know, proud or whatever. And and that that's just, you know, okay, what's the evidence? What what is what are you asking me to evaluate here? Um, I think that's key. Matthew 18 speaks to evidence, right? Right. And it, it's not an intuition. It may begin as an intuition, but ultimately, it, you know, proper reproof requires evidence um, to be presented. Yeah. And so. But what if you have a strong suspicion and you don't have hard, fast evidence? And <laughs> what if you are, you do have questions about a person's thought pattern, or let's just say about his motives. Are we forbidden for asking them from asking them questions about their motives? No, I think you ask questions, have them look at what's in their heart. Could it be that the reason you did that was because of selfishness or pride or vengeance or whatever? And then at that point, you know, you have to, unless you have evidence to the contrary, you have to take them at their word. But mm-hmm. it's it's fine to rule in or to rule right. out your suspicion by simply asking them questions. What you may not do is say, I know why you did that, Jason. You just did that because of such and such. And so that's where we're off base. Right, yeah, yeah. And even and even to that point, there there is a reason, there is something causing the suspicion, you right. know. Um, and I would I would say, yes, you, you may not have like hard evidence, but there is something that is creating that suspicion but in your But they heart. may, they may be able to clarify the incongruency between the evidence that you think you have and what's really going right. on. Or you may actually convict them and they say, oh, you know what? I haven't thought about that, but I, you may be right. Mm. So now let's go to the next point. Let's say there, you know, there is sin is identified mm-hmm. and they do not repent. Um, and, you know, we, we actually had a account share this morning in staff meeting of that very thing. And the person went back to them. And actually, in this case, they just went back to them individually, which actually, I mean, it, I think that's fine. I, I think step one, you, you know, step one, you could go to the person two or three times just by yourself. Step one can have several phases. That's right. Yeah. Before going to step two. Right. And, and maybe the first part of step one is asking a question. The second part of step one is bringing a more like formal accusation. The third part of step one is like, you know, going again, you know. And so it's not that it's not that, okay, well, now I've completed step one. I have to move to step two. These are these are kind of giving phases of um, the way that we correct one another. But then let's say they're, they're still unrepentant. And then you bring some trusted people along. Like, who are those people you bring along? How, are they other people that know them? Like, how would y'all, how would y'all advise people? Some guidelines would be um, people who know them, people who have had the same kind of struggle in their own life in the past and have successfully repented. And then, yes, the church leaders, mm-hmm. the elders of the church. And I do think it, the nature of the transgression matters, right? Yes. I mean, yes. I think um, you you address chronic non-attendance uh, differently than you would adultery. Person. <clears throat> right. So, I mean, the nature of the transgression certainly makes a difference in how you approach the next step. Right. Who you bring in. And also the impact on the body. I mean, what do you yeah. do if you have and, a person who's divisive? I mean, we can't just sit around for three that's months. Right. Yeah, and, it was, and, it, and it affects the rate, right? right? Exactly. And so if it is adultery right or something like that that's very serious is causing like immediate damage you know it 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 can bubble to step one two three pretty quickly yeah whereas like chronic non-attendance that's a good thing the sin there is you're forsaking the assembly and so 
that is something that I think you can be more, you know, there's a little more pace, patience, gentleness in Agreed. how that's approached. Um, and that's, not, been, that's exactly been our approach, right? When right. We've been not that it's not serious. Yeah. It's just, I think that's where wisdom speaks to, you know, a different way to approach it. And, and I think we need to just go back and focus for a minute on the word restore. Okay. The motive here is to restore the brother. It's not to execute our own vengeance, not to embarrass him. It's not to show off how much Bible we, we knowledge we have or being pedantic or anything like that. Um, nice but word, our motive, nice our word. motive my, is. He's been reading to, his word well, of the I've day calendar. My, I see. I've got some very pedantic uh, <laughs> dudes been, on the podcast. He's been anyway. reading his word of the day calendar. Very good. Anyway. Um, <laughs> You're judging my motives. <laughs> anyway, where am I going with this? Oh, so the word restore was used in, in, in Bible times uh, in a couple of different contexts. It was used in the medical world to set a bone that had been broken, and it was used in the fishing world to mend a fishing net that had been broken. And so the idea behind this is uh, a broken limb is pretty useless. Uh, a, a net with a big hole in it is pretty useless. Right. So when you restore someone, you 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 restore them to usefulness again, mm. largely to the church body and That's also good. to the people around them. And 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 as a result of that, like their families, their spouses, the Lord Himself, like sin only destroys. Right. Sin only breaks down and and that leads to another uh from from a pastor's perspective if we have any pastors or elders listening i mean to the because we don't want to be patient right convict exhort reprove with great patience and careful instruction you know and so we have to be patient um considering yourself lest you also be tempted but when you're dealing in in a family situation sometimes if you're too patient with the sinner you could be being cruel to his family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you have to balance not just the impact of the sin on the person who's sinning and, and how, how patient we should be, but also the misery that the family may be going through if we don't deal with it as efficiently as we're able. That's good. And then, and then the, the last, you know, is how do you take it to the church? And I don't know that a lot of people are aware of this, but we as a congregation, it's probably four years ago now, it was our, I think it was our, one of our first members, maybe March of 2018, we did this. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually voted on church discipline guidelines. And we basically went through step one and step two of Matthew 18 in the way that you and I have been talking about, that we've been talking about right now. But step three gets a little harder. Like, how do you take it to the church? And that's really what we wanted to clarify. And the way that you take it to the church, and let me just speak to this and y'all can add anything else. The way that you take it to the church at Christ's covenant, at least, and I think this could be defined in any church. I mean, you know, other churches can define this differently. But the way you take it to the church at Christ's covenant is you inform an elder who would then take it to the larger elder body. And and what we have as a larger elder body is we have what we call a private care list. These are people in our church that there is some sort of sin pattern in their life um, that we are aware of that we as an elder body are pursuing, praying for, and we review this every elders meeting, every month. Um, And it's amazing. Like, we pray for these people. A lot of times the Lord brings repentance or brings restoration. We don't ever have to take it to the larger church body. But if the elders deem, and and there's no set time that this would stay on the private care list, right? It's not a, um, 
There's not like, oh, it stays on the private care list for two months and then we move it on. It just depends on the situation. And sometimes there's movement and we're not sure how to codify the movement. And that's a, that's a good point, Lou. Yeah. Like sometimes like it moves back and forth, right. right? Like sometimes it's like, well, you know, it's going good. And then, well, it's not going good. I mean, it, it's, it's these, all these things are tricky yeah. to deal with. But then if, if, if we do deem this is not making any progress, we need to take this to the broader congregation at a member's meeting. We would call on the church and say, hey, this person, and we would de- we would describe the sin in a very general way. So, for example. In biblical terms. In biblical mm-hmm. terms. Uh, this person is not being faithful to their wife, or this person um, has has a pattern of dishonesty, or this person, or whatever it is. You know, this person. Drunkenness. Right, yeah, div- divisiveness or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we wouldn't give super particulars. Obviously, if somebody in the congregation wanted those, we could talk to them, but. We would announce it to the church, ask the church to pray for them, to appeal to them, to pursue them. And then, you know, hopefully that has some effect. But if we saw zero movement um, in the person and maybe even the sin got worse after that, then, of course, that's when you move to, you know, what we would call like removing them from the membership, um, where we as a church would would say, we can no longer in good faith uh, affirm them as a member of our church. And what we're really saying in that is we can no longer affirm them as a brother or sister in Christ. Now, and we, functionally, we're also delivering them over to Satan. Right. Yeah. We, you know, obviously they may still be a brother or sister in Christ. Our judgments aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far as we can tell from the evidence that they've shown and what we know from scripture, we can no longer affirm them as a brother or sister in Christ. And, you know, yes, we trust that God will do work on their souls, however he will, even if he's using, to, to your point of delivering them to Satan, even if he's using what I would call like the depth of their sin to bring them to a place of brokenness where they hopefully return and repent. But the goal, to your point earlier, Lou, is always repentance and restoration. And just the point about delivering them over to Satan, they get removed from the protection and all the blessings that come with being a church member and are, are put back into the world's dominion for right, the yeah. devil to do whatever he might do to him. And again, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. So even then, it's with the hope that the person will return uh, and be restored to fellowship. I would just say we have recent examples of this. We Our, our church family has done just this sort of thing yeah. In the very recent past, and and we have appealed to our members to pursue and pray for um, members that have been on our private care list for a while. In some cases, we have seen, uh, in most cases, we have seen uh, yeah. restoration. The uh, One of the questions we were asked on the text of pastor, what does Christian restoration look like? Let's move to Christian restoration mm-hmm. now. From the perspective of the one being restored and from the perspective of the one walking alongside that person, we, we've already spoken to this a little bit, but any any particular answers to that question? If we start with the idea of the the usefulness, that's what it would look like from the person who has sinned to to restore him to a place where he can be uh, fully useful to the church and to the Lord and to his family. Right. Yeah. Um, from the perspective of the person who comes alongside, if he hears you, you have won your brother. And so there's a sense in which you're trying to win him back to the Lord. And there's a sense in which the fellowship, if the person repents, um, will improve between the person who's being restored and the person who's 
who's doing the restore. Again, reprove a wise man and he will lo- love you. There's a verse in Proverbs that I, I think about a lot um, as someone who has to convict people on a regular basis. He, it's, I think it's chapter 28. He who reproves a man will afterwards, not at the moment of reproof necessarily, you know, talk about phase one, phase two, phase three. He who reproves a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his lips. So I'll tell myself, look, this may not be fun. I might, you know, I might end up losing a friend. I might end up, you know, having someone not willing to come back to counseling. But if the person repents, which is my mindset, then I will have won him. And um, by God's grace, um, I'll find more favor in his eyes when all is said and done. He'll be mm-hmm. thankful that yeah. I loved him mm-hmm. enough to go after him, to pursue him, to restore him. And, and, and it takes courage. And, and let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. I mean, what about marriages? You know, you said a lot of people like to confront. Well, in my world, a lot of people are afraid to confront their husbands. A lot are afraid to confront their life. Why does Matthew 18 not apply to the husband and wife relationship? Why does it not apply to the to the child-parent relationship? My kids were reproving me with scripture from even the time before they could read. And I welcomed it as long as they could do it respectfully. Yeah. So this is not just, a, you know, someone who sits in the church next to you or down the road. This is something that Christians are to do to Christians, and it's really not a nice thing to do like it's optional. I mean, this is a command. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, and it's just evidence of our love for one another. It's, right. it's how we work out love for one another. Um, I think those are really good sides, really good thoughts. Again, I, you, know, you were talking about Proverbs earlier. I was thinking about wounds from a brother mm-hmm. more regarded wounds. than kisses from a friend, right? right. Mm-hmm. Or kisses from an enemy. I mean, so... Um, I think that, yes, I mean, sometimes to the point of resetting the bone, uh, that you made earlier, mending the net, resetting the bone that hurts to reset the bone, you know, mm-hmm. um, Rainer used to get a uh, nursemaid's elbow. Did any of those kids get nursemaid's elbow? No, but I remember Rainer's, uh, I, I remember this. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I think it's the first time I've ever heard of it. He got it like five times i mean yeah. it was a big thing for him it's basically your the elbow gets pulled out of the socket and the nursemaid's elbow was like the nursemaid would yank the child and oh, yeah, yeah. the elbow would get pulled out of the socket and it's actually pretty easy to reset you know um and you know the first time we did it we had no idea what happened we took him to the doctor and they were like oh you can reset this so he probably did it four or five more times and so um i got to where i could pop his elbow basically back into place and it was a tendon that you were adjusting. Well, so, so that's a quick fix. But if he broke his bone, it would take months to heal. Sure, this is a quick fix. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is quick repentance and usefulness right. again. But, um, but as I was doing it, he would scream. You mm. know, he knew what I was about to do, mm. and he would say, "No, no, no." And then I do it, and then he was fine. It would hurt him for yeah. a second. And I think that's a really good illustration yeah. of what this is. I mean, yeah. it does hurt. It is awkward. I hated to do it to him. Um, because I love my child. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want him to feel pain. But more than that, I wanted him to like have an elbow that works. But it's precisely because you love him that you're willing to put him through some short-term therapeutic pain in the hopes that he have long-term happiness. You remember this because one time we were in Washington, D.C., and you and I were together, and, and it happened, and Paige had to do it. Oh, yeah. And I coached her through it on yeah. FaceTime. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly how to do it. That's oh, what, yeah, yeah, you were there for that. And, and so it's funny as as you're explaining the procedure and Lou's talking about um, the importance of doing that momentary bit of pain uh, is to, speaking to 
from the perspective of the restorer, right, and what it's like to walk alongside one, it is, um, I think of Philippians 2, you know, have this mind among yourselves. There's a collective yes. instruction there. There's a presumption of community that humility is at its highest usefulness when it's exhibited in community. And so when you're correcting the um, nursemaid's, what'd you say? Nursemaid's elbow. Nursemaid's elbow. Um, there's a part of you that's empathizing oh, with yeah. Rainer, right? You you can see this is painful. with, and, and you, in some sense, feel that pain as well. Or you imagine the pain of that, right? You're, you So you have to approach the correction of that from a sort of human, Humble, place, yeah. yeah, an empathetic place, recognizing that, you know, while you're an adult, your body is fragile in other ways, and it may need correction in some ways that could right. be painful to you as well. So I think that's it's it's always useful uh, and good for those who are correcting to remember and be reminded of their own frag, fra- fragility, I guess, in, and, and in the correction. And that's the second, that's the last part of the verse, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself watch out keep right, watch right mm-hmm. so the word gentleness there there's no real english equivalent to it it basically means that you do it without getting anger but it also has an element of humility to it it's not like i can't believe it this is the third time this right. year i've had to come and what's the matter with you no it's like bro look I've been there myself. The things I'm telling you today, yeah. I had to tell myself last week. I'm just one. I'm a beggar showing another beggar yeah, where the bri- you may be counseling me next week. It's the realization that we're all broken, and if it wasn't by God's grace, we wouldn't be fixed. It 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 the the word has built into the the recognition of our own frailties and weaknesses. And if you try to reprove somebody without that gentleness, it comes across as arrogant. Yeah, and you're not going to win your brother. The word I used yesterday was sober minded. Mm-hmm. Like That'll there's work. A, there's a sober mindedness about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we we need to wrap it up, but a quick word on watchfulness, Jason. I thought you know you had some earlier insights. We were talking about how we never really graduate from a sober minded, watchful posture when we're dealing with something as dangerous as sin. Yeah. I love the progressive nature of your guidance here, Jason, and that, you know, it starts with, uh, there's a reaction to something that's going on, but then ultimately when we're restored and we're in safe Harbor, then the call is to watchfulness. And we do this through, I love, I loved your mention of the spiritual disciplines. I, uh, talk through this with a men's group often, right? We, we, in the recognition that we're we're all fragile and broken, we don't throw our hands up thinking there's nothing that we can do about our estate, right? We don't, and but we also don't worship our own will. You talked about this. There's no way that we can just decide that I'm going to be all of these things to every other Christian brother and sister. That I'm going to love them as I was instructed. I'm going to bear their burdens as right, I was. Yeah, yeah. We just can't decide because it is. Richard Foster kind of puts it, no amount of willpower can guard against the unguarded moment. Well, Lou, Jason, thank you guys so much. I I just would kind of add to this conversation. If you're in that situation, you're like, look, there's a brother, there's a sister, there's a friend. I've got to say something to you. And I'm just terrified. I don't exactly know how to kind of start the conversation. I don't think it's gossip. I don't think it's wrong to give us a call and just say, hey, I want to go talk to this person. Would you help me? Would you coach me through that? Would you kind of walk me through that? Um, Even in addition to this conversation, I think I can speak for each of us and obviously our entire elder body. Uh, We, that is part of our role as caregivers and oversight 
givers for the congregation. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, and we, we, we desire that this would be a, a, an active rhythm in our church. So for Jason Byers and Lou Priolo, Captain Lou Priolo, Captain Lou, I'm Jason Deason.